0: Morning, church. Um, our first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 43, and that can be found on page 544 of the church Bibles. And we'll be reading from verses 1 to 5. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the, rest, from the west. Our second reading is taken from Colossians chapter 2, uh, which can be found on page 888 of your church Bibles. And we'll be reading from verses 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. "'rooted and built up in him, "'strengthened in the faith as you were taught "'and overflowing with thankfulness. "'See to it that no one takes you captive "'through hollow and deceptive philosophy, "'which depends on human tradition "'and the elemental spiritual forces of this world "'rather than on Christ. "'For in Christ all the fullness of the deity "'lives in bodily form, "'and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. "'He is the head over every power and authority.'" Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Welcome once again. Hello. It's so nice to see you. I'm Johnny, if I've not met you before, and would love to meet you afterwards. Um, please do stick around over coffee next door. Um, it'd be lovely to be together for a bit longer. <clears throat> now, if you've been to um, Christchurch Banan before, you'll know that what we normally do in the mornings is we kind of work through a book of the Bible bit by bit. And that's a really healthy way, basically, to approach the Bible and to preach through the Bible. We follow the flow of what God has revealed to us. Um, we meet Jesus. We see how he connects with real life. Why would we take a break from that for these two weeks? We do this every now and again, don't we, if you've been here for a while? Every now and again, we kind of pause and do something a bit different. And um, as Andy said, this week and next week, we're thinking about baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. Why would we do that? They're, they're pretty obscure topics, aren't they? They're pretty obscure. I guess we may be already struggling to think: what benefit is this going to be for me <laughs> during this week? Seems pretty obscure, pretty niche. And in terms of all the material that's there in the Bible, we might recognise rightly that these are issues of secondary importance. It's not like the main stuff, is it? And so why, why devote time to it? And actually, because of that, there will be a range of views amongst us, even now, about exactly what these things are, what they signify, what they mean. So as well as it being obscure and secondary, we might think, well, actually, it could be a bit divisive because it could kind of put us in different camps and why would we want to do that? Well, let me quickly try to bat away these objections. First, Jesus talks about baptism and communion, the most influential man in history. And they're all through the Bible, so they probably do kind of matter. Um, secondly, because they're secondary, that doesn't mean they're unimportant. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible, which is the word of God, all of it, from the mouth of God. And so even if it's not of primary importance, <laughs> It's still very important, and we'll see this week and next that these issues are very closely connected to the heart of what Jesus has done for us. And so actually, instead of being divisive, my hope is that as we look together at what the Bible says and maybe think about it a bit more than we have done before, it will actually be a wonderfully unifying experience as we do that. So let's pray that God would do that amongst us. Our Father, thank you for this morning, thank you for your words, the Bible, and please give us insight now, and please would this be a surprisingly encouraging time as we think about baptism this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so, more positively, here's a question for us to get us going. How do you know that you belong to God? How do you know that you belong to him? Maybe you're here this morning and like quite often on a Sunday morning, you, you enjoy it. You think oh, the music, the worship is uplifting and it's so good to see people, to make friends, new friends, old friends. We love the sense of community. We have a great time on a Sunday morning, but then Monday afternoon, surrounded by our colleagues, already it feels very distant. Was it all just kind of a dream? Or do I really belong to God? Or maybe it's Tuesday morning and you've had a terrible night and before you've even made a cup of tea, you've snapped at your housemate or your kids and you're feeling pretty rubbish. Oh, that's not how I want to live. It, 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 so many things just discourage us throughout the week, don't they? Is that really what God is calling me to? Do I really belong to God or am I just imagining it? Or maybe Friday night this week, you're out with friends, colleagues, having a great time, but there is a slight sour taste in your mouth because you know that you've Given into more than one temptation already. And you think, oh, I don't want to live like this. I want to live like that. And again, you're discouraged. Do I really belong to God? Or am I just imagining it? How do you know that you belong to God? And you may be surprised that one of the answers the Bible gives is your baptism. Your baptism. So let's look more carefully at some of what the Bible says. We'll jump around a little bit and see a few different things. First, I'd love us to see this morning that this is what baptism is. It's a picture of the gospel. Picture of the gospel. And I'd love it if we would turn to Romans 5 as we start off. It's on page 849. Just a little bit back from Colossians, if you've still got that open. Page 849. And um, when we talk about the gospel, you hear that word gospel, and you might think of a, a genre on Spotify, which I do love to shuffle every now and again, a bit of gospel music. That's not what we're talking about, okay? When the Bible says gospel, it's uh, a shorthand for the good news, the momentous, world-changing good news of Jesus Christ, ultimately shown in his death and resurrection to save us out of God's love, okay? And Paul, in this letter, Romans, he spent the first five chapters celebrating this gospel, and explaining lots about it. And so look with me at chapter 5, verse 1, page 849. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. We've been adopted, accepted, welcomed, received by God, and we enjoy that through faith, through putting our trust in Jesus and what he's done for us. And so look at verse 8 with me again, chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's been unpacking and celebrating this gospel message. But he can't just stop there. He can't just stop with laying out the truth of it. Because it's going to affect our real lives. And so chapter 6, look at what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, he's saying, you've begun a completely new life. You've had a, a funeral and a birthday. Your old life, controlled by sin, controlled by however you wanna live, not taking care of God, that old life has died when you come to Jesus in faith, and a new life has begun, verse 4, that we may live a new life. And here's the really cool thing about baptism. <laughs> These realities, they're not just kind of distant theoretical ideas. God, in his kindness, gives us baptism so that we can personally, physically, tangibly experience something of that union with Jesus Christ. You may have seen um, the old action man. Oh. Um, if, you, if you come and see a baptism here on a Sunday morning, um, we normally have a different way of kind of illustrating it for the children. And this is one of Andy's favourites. Um, the action man and the Lego man. So um, the action man, in all his strength and glory, represents Jesus. And here's me, pretty tiny and puny. And um, what happens when we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in him, is the spirit unites us to him. Now, Andy, how do you do this without three hands? Get a child to help you. Lots of practice, or a child to help you. There we are. Okay, so this is what happens. We put our faith in Jesus, and spiritually speaking, the Spirit of God unites us to him. We are bound to him in his death and resurrection. And so Jesus died for our sins, and we too, Romans 6 tells us, our old life, has died with Jesus. That old life controlled by sin, heading for God's punishment, is, is over. And as Jesus raised again from the dead, we too have been raised to a new life with him. Baptism is all about union with Christ. But why baptism? Why the water? What is all that about? Why do we need to get wet? Well, when you look through the Bible and you think about water, it's actually hugely significant. Do you remember the flood at Genesis 6? In righteous justice, God unleashed water from above and below to wipe out evil. But in the midst of that, he saved his people. Here we are. Every parent's probably got one of these at home. Um, in the midst of those waters of judgment and destruction, God provided a way for his people to be saved, even through those waters. Okay, so keep that in mind. But that's not, that's not the only one, is it? Think about the Red Sea. You remember this, Moses in Exodus? Again, God miraculously saved his people through those terrifying waters of judgment which he also used to destroy the evil Egyptian army pursuing his people. Water is consistently a symbol of God's terrifying judgment on sin and the way that he provides salvation through the midst of that judgment, through the waters. Do you remember those words from Isaiah that Naomi read to us? That God was promising that through those waters of judgment and destruction, God would be with his people and save them in the midst of it. And so when Jesus came, he entered the water. He himself came and was baptized. He entered the water, representing God's judgment, and then came up again. It was a little preview. A little preview of what he would do in his death and resurrection. Jesus entered the stormy, terrifying waters of God's anger on the cross. He himself called it a baptism and was then risen again, raised again to new life in the power of the spirits. So friends, I hope that we see already baptism is pretty big. <laughs> this is pretty big stuff, isn't it? Your baptism is a picture of the gospel. It represents your union with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And this isn't just sort of people with too much time making this stuff up, okay? This is exactly what Peter says in the New Testament. I think we've got it on the screen. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, in the days of Noah, in the ark, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your baptism represents your union with Christ by faith. And there's more. Okay? If baptism is also like a, like a death and um, a resurrection, like a funeral and a birthday, or you could say a, a tomb and a womb, okay? if that's what baptism is like, it's also like a wedding. Also like a wedding. That, that union with Jesus throughout the Bible is often described in wedding kind of language. I remember very clearly my first friend's wedding that I went to in my early 20s. We were all pretty fresh-faced, and they were getting married pretty young. It was very exciting. And um, the vicar, I remember him saying, as uh, they were up the front about to get married, he said, now, whenever we see a wedding, we should be asking ourselves, have I got going with Jesus what these two have got going for each other? And I remember thinking, "Oh, that's a bit a bit weird, a <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> bit embarrassing. <laughs> 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 But actually, he's, he's absolutely right. Because throughout the Bible, this very daring image is used of God's love for his people, the church. We're consistently called his bride, And so you've got the romantic, sometimes pretty erotic poetry of the book of Song of Songs, all about God's Deeply powerful, affectionate love for his people. You've got the prophecy of Hosea that's all about this. You've got Jesus' first sign at the wedding in Cana. You've got the very end of Revelation where Jesus is united with his people, the bride dressed beautifully for her husbands. And so, as we read earlier in our confession, when Peter preached to that crowd, he urged them to repent and be baptized. And he declared, This promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. God calls us to himself, to be united with him. He draws us very close into the intimacy, even pictured by marriage. So baptism marks our entry into the bride. <laughs> See, it's not as if each of us is kind of individually married to Jesus. Um, no, the bride is the church. We corporately are united to him as his bride. So baptism is a funeral, a wedding, um, a birthday, and briefly, most obviously perhaps, it's a bath, isn't it? It's like a bath. Now, I don't know if you're a shower person or a bath person, um, or maybe a cold shower person. Yeah, apparently they're very good for you. Maybe an ice bath person if you're really extreme. Um, but it's a beautiful feeling, isn't it? You, you go into the bath, you feel dirty, you feel tired and weary. You come out clean, refreshed, restored. Baptism is like a spiritual bath. Beautiful, spiritual cleansing. And so again in the book of Acts we read that straight after the apostle Paul was converted and came to Jesus, he was baptized. And he was told by Ananias, he was told, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And this bath is so special, so powerful, because it's not like a daily rinse, okay, after a tiring or dirty day. Now, this is a once-for-all inner cleansing. It's a, an utterly transformative washing. Washing away that whole old life of sin that has died. Cleansing us once for all in God's sight. And that is what the gift of the Holy Spirit does. He washes us clean. And so friends, just press pause there and enjoy that truth. Okay, whether you feel it or not, however this week has been, however this morning has been, if you have come to Jesus, you're one with him by faith, you are clean, utterly clean in his sight. And your baptism should remind you of that. So having seen what baptism is, I guess it leads to a few implications. First, be baptized. <laughs> it's great. It's such a powerful picture of the gospel. It's a gift from God be baptized. If you've put your faith in Jesus and you haven't yet been baptized, come and do it. I even said to Andy, should we do it here and now since we've got some water? He uh, we said, well, maybe it's worth the conversation. But um, do come and talk to us and we'll get you booked in. Um, be baptized. It's a brilliant, encouraging picture of the gospel. Uh, Second, let's celebrate our baptisms. Let's celebrate our baptisms. Beth and I, my wife, we were so thrilled two weeks ago to have our daughters baptized. And it was a party. It was a celebration because it is a picture of the gospel. Let's celebrate these occasions. And some of us might have God children, which isn't a biblical thing, but it's a nice tradition, helpful tradition. And, um, and I try, I always fail because it's so much easier to remember birthdays, isn't it? But I try to remind them of their baptisms each year because everyone's going to remind them of their birthday. Great. But not many people are going to remind them of their baptism. But let's remind each other of this powerful picture of the gospel. So that's something of what baptism is, but also what does baptism do? This is maybe a bit more confusing, a bit more tricky. Here's what baptism does. It's a promise of the gospel. Now we need to talk about signs. Um, I don't mean signposts or sign language, but I mean something a bit more like a wedding ring, okay? Um, when I married Beth, I said to her, and she said to me, I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. With my body I honour you, all that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you within the love of God. What's going on there? This ring is a sign of our marriage. Now you could say in a fairly narrow sense, well, it's, it's kind of round and it goes on and on, and that's a nice picture of unending love. Yeah, there's, there's something in that. But there's more to it, much more than that. You might have heard the, the old words of the wedding service where they said, um, with this ring, I thee wed. You see, the ring is actually instrumental to the marriage. It's, it's much more than just a kind of symbol of something. It's actually doing something. And we've just been seeing various ways in which baptism is a picture of the gospel. And rather like a wedding ring, baptism is a profound sign of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, receive his cleansing, washing by the spirits. So I value my ring highly. I don't want to lose it. Um, but nowhere near as highly as I value my marriage or Beth herself. And so the question is, how highly should we value baptism? And this is basically where a lot of Christians over the centuries have kind of disagreed, and this is where we get into tricky waters. And I think there are two ways to fall off the horse, if you like, two kind of almost opposite errors that we can make. Um, basically valuing it too highly or not highly enough. And uh, here's, here's the first then. Uh, it's possible, and some sort of Christian traditions do this, they elevate the sign so highly... That it becomes automatic. Uh, you baptize someone and ta-da, they're saved. Uh, they become a Christian through their baptism. And that's officially what the Roman Catholic Church teaches and the Lutheran Church as well. The sprinkling of water or plunging into water, it becomes like a kind of spiritual magic wand. But it's clear throughout the Bible, it doesn't take long to see, that what brings us to Jesus and to life in him is not baptism, but faith. And did you see that in Colossians 2 when it was read earlier? We read um, baptism in which you were also raised with Christ through your faith in the working of God. So the faith is the key thing. They don't work without faith, okay? And baptisms don't work without faith. And so there's a really excellent um, set of articles, 39 articles, which are kind of foundational to the Anglican church, which we belong to. And one of them says this, in such only as worthily receive baptism, it has a wholesome effect or operation. It needs to be received rightly, that is by faith. So that's one mistake, kind of elevating the sign so highly, it becomes like a magic wand. Opposite mistake is to value it too lowly and that is to say that it's, it's only a symbol. It's only a symbol. It doesn't do anything. And this is actually how most evangelical churches like us kind of tend to function. Um, we, the focus can very easily become exclusively on the person's profession of faith. And so if you were baptised as, as an adult or a teenager maybe, it may well have been introduced by saying something like, you know, Bob has come to be baptised today, to express his faith in Jesus. Do you see that the focus is, is primarily on the individual's faith? But if, if the first error was saying that faith is unnecessary, <laughs> it'll just work automatically, this is also not quite right to put all the emphasis on the individual's faith. Because do you remember what Peter said? He, he daringly said, baptism now saves you whilst it's ultimately christ of course who saves and we receive that by faith even so baptism does seem to be doing something and that's because baptism is a powerful gospel promise it's primarily from god to us promising us the blessings of the gospel promising us jesus Rebirth, washing, renewal. It's not primarily from us to God, but from God to us. So yes, it is a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. It's a symbol that gives rights and privileges. The rights and privileges of salvation, which are to be received by faith. So, you could call it, as some people in centuries gone by have called it, a seal. A seal of the covenant of grace. Now, I think it sounds a bit strange and foreign, but it's actually super helpful, so bear with me. Um, years gone by, people use seals, didn't they, to seal important documents like this very old one from 1462. Um, the costly seal guarantees the authority and the source of the documents. It's the ancient equivalent of a signature, okay? Um, a friend of mine used to work in finance in the city, and I couldn't believe this. Just a few years ago, he had to fly to Japan in order to get a signature <laughs> on a document. I guess he was dealing with quite a big sort of thing. Um, the, the client wanted a, a wet ink signature, as uh, lawyer friends tell me they're called. <laughs> wet ink signature, you don't want it to smudge, do you? But you get the idea. Um, it wanted to see, they wanted someone to witness with their own eyes a real signature from a person. Because what does a signature do? Well, it guarantees. It's a guarantee of the promise of that document. Okay, it's a guarantee from that person. And in a similar way, baptism is God's seal, or God's signature, if you like. The signature of his gospel promises to us. We hear the gospel, yes, with our ears, uh, believe in Jesus and you'll receive forgiveness, the gift of the Spirit. But then God signs and seals that promise with a visible word and even a tangible word that we can feel. It's very kind of him. And um, God has actually been doing this for thousands of years. Um, so God has always related to his people through covenants. It's, it's a kind of it's a formal agreement, if you like. It's a, it's a bond, a committed bond of love between God and his people, like marriage. And, um, and way back when, he, he told Abraham back in the book of Genesis that at that stage, circumcision was the seal or the sign of the covenant. Okay, he said this in Genesis 17, I'll establish my covenants as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. You're to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Well, as God's dealings with the world progressed, his covenant relationships with us just became more and more gracious and abundant and good and kind. And so Jesus came, fulfilling hundreds of prophecies and little things that prefigured him, people like Abraham, Noah and the ark, Moses and the Red Sea. It all pointed forward to Jesus. And his death and resurrection inaugurate what's called in the Bible a new covenant. A new covenant with a new covenant sign. And so as we read Colossians 2 earlier... Do you remember these words? You may as have it open in front of you if you want. Or page 889. I'm sorry we haven't been looking at the text so much today. But um, page 889. Notice the connection Paul draws between circumcision and baptism. Page 889, Colossians 2. Let me just read verse 11 and 12. He said, In him, that's in Christ, you were also circumcised. With a circumcision not performed by human hands... Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Do you see the connection? Under the old covenant, Jewish males had a particular privilege. They could see and feel in their own body a reminder of God's seal, how God had committed to them to be their God. That's what they could see and feel in their circumcision. And likewise, under the new covenant, all of us, all of us, men and women, boys and girls, can see and feel in our physical bodies the sign of God's covenant, the signature, his guarantee to be our God. And this is why. Um, throughout church history and around the world, the vast majority of Christians are happy, more than happy, delighted to extend baptism to the children of believers. Uh, because now I know this is something that Christians disagree on, and that's fine. But this is why, and this is why I think it's so good and so helpful, because God's covenants are always with His people, and they are always to respond in faith. But God's covenants are also always with his people's children. Just like he said to Abraham, just like Peter said in Acts 2, the promises for you and your children, just like in Colossians 2, how the connection is drawn between circumcision and baptism. And so when Clemmie and Sophia were baptised two weeks ago, we weren't treating it as a, a spiritual magic wand. <laughs> Ta-da! They're now saved. No, just like all of us. They will need to connect their faith to their baptism. But we were marking their belonging to the covenant family of God, the church. This is the kindness of God that he's given us this picture and this promise for all of us. And so just as we all need to go on in faith, trusting Jesus, clinging on to him, knowing that he is holding on to us. We need to keep doing that, don't we, day by day, even though we've been baptised. Likewise, for little Clemmy and Sophia, they will need to put their faith in Jesus as they grow up. Just imagine if on my wedding day, my best man, Jake, had forgotten my ring, forgotten the rings. That, that's the worst nightmare of any best man, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> you've got one job, I mean, come on. Um, but I guess it must have happened, I've never seen it happen myself, but... Um, we, we still could have actually got married, couldn't we, with, without the rings, legally, I gather. Um, but it would have been a bit sad, and we would have wanted to dig around and find them and, and rectify that and complete the ceremony in an appropriate way. But do you see that the sequence of events isn't actually the crucial thing. Uh, the sign goes with the marriage. They're meant to be together. <laughs> um, but it's not the end of the world, which way round, they happen, actually. And I think it's similar with baptism. Baptism is always to be accompanied by personal faith. Um, but the sequence of how that happens isn't the ultimate thing. And so we can joyfully give this covenant sign to our children as we pray for them to grow up in the faith of the Lord. Which, by the way, I think Clemmy expresses every day as we pray together. So, we've covered a lot of material haven't we we've looked at quite a few different parts of the bible and um, let me try to pull these threads together as we wrap up remember that question we began with how do you know that you belong to god well i hope you feel now that you have another powerful arson, uh, answer to that question your baptism so again, if you've not yet been baptised, I hope this is making you envious and eager to be baptised. But for those of us who have been, let's remind each other of it. When doubting that we belong to God, we can remind ourselves, you've been baptised. You are a baptised member of God's people. I saw it happen, or those people saw it happen. You've had a, a tangible, physical, public experience of this picture of the gospel, you've received God's covenant sign that you belong to Him. And so, every time we witness a baptism, we'll probably have another one sometime this term or next term. It's an opportunity to remember your own. It doesn't matter actually if you can't recall it; it may have been many years ago, um, or you may have been pretty small. But the fact that you are baptised, that. Fact, that undeniable fact recorded in history, witnessed by people, is meant to encourage you. You belong to God. And so this week, through all the ups and downs, trials, temptations, sorrows, joys, remember your baptism. Remember and enjoy the fact that God has given you this powerful picture of the gospel and this wonderful promise of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, above all, for Jesus. Thank you for his love that while we were still sinners, he died for us. But thank you that you don't just tell us these things that happened thousands of years ago. You've given us this powerful physical experience that we can demonstrate to ourselves, to each other, to the watching world, this picture of the gospel and this promise of the gospel. Thank you so much for it. Please help us to enjoy our baptisms more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.